As I said earlier, uh, for the most part, Brother Jim Newsom needs no introduction. Uh, we figured out earlier that he's been coming and speaking at Abundant Life Church for, well, I've been the pastor here 20 years, so maybe just a little less than that. Uh, maybe 18 or 19 years ago that I met Brother Jim and uh, invited him to come, and he's been coming at least once, and a few times he's come twice in a year. And uh, Brother Jim's just a, a man that has a, a gift of teaching the Bible, a gift of evangelism, um, has a phenomenal testimony. I remember part of his testimony, and he called me one day, and he said, I'm beginning to get my affairs in order because the doctor told me I have two years, maybe one year to live with hepatitis C. And so he said, I'm, I'm starting to get my affairs in order. <clears throat> that was 15 years ago. <laughs> the doctor didn't know about a healing and a miracle uh, of his being healed from hepatitis C and still with us today. He got a phenomenal testimony from, from how he met Christ and when he met Christ. Uh, but more than anything else, he's a man of God, one of my brothers in Christ. And uh, we share a pastor, Brother Charles Simpson. And uh, so he's going to come and he's going to share a word with us today. And the Holy Spirit's going to imprint it into our hearts and our lives. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts today. We open our minds. We open our souls to hear what you have to say to us through your servant today. I pray uh, an anointing on our ears, Lord God, that we would be able to lay aside all distractions, everything that might cause us to think a different way and go a different direction. And I pray for an anointing on Jim that he would speak today, the oracles of God, and that he would be used by you in the power of your Holy Spirit to speak the living and active Word of God to us today. And I thank you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, Brother Jim. Let's welcome the man of God. Now. Testing, testing. Can you give me a little bit more volume for my sake? All right. <clears throat> Good morning. Well, when I uh, came in today, a couple people come up and said, hey, Jim, you look really nice today. And I, I never know what to do with that. I, you know, does that mean the last time they saw me, not so much, you know? And uh, But they were commenting on, you know, I guess this is my new signature look. That that one's my old one. So, uh, but this is my vest, you know. And uh, since I come to Tennessee a lot, and a lot of people down here wear a vest, I thought I'd just try it, and I kind of like it. And so, uh, anyway, it's good to be here. It's been uh, just a little over a year. I was here last June, and uh, I'm grateful for Larry inviting me back, and uh, prayed that the Lord will help us this morning. Uh, <clears throat> I went golfing yesterday with uh, Brother Larry and his son Adam, but I finally got to golf with Brother Charlie. And uh, between him and I, we had 50 good shots, really good shots. 
He had 45 and, and I had five. So, but together, you know, when you partner with someone, you know, their, their strengths compensate for your weaknesses. So together we had, and that's my story and I'm sticking to it. It's kind of like, it's the same way with when I partner with Jesus. Uh, his righteousness comp- compensates for my sinfulness. And uh, together, uh, we have perfect righteousness. And uh, good news is, so do you. And uh, being with the Lord and the Lord being with you. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to uh, the Gospel of John. And I want to look at. Uh, chapter 10 and verse 10. It's probably one <clears throat> that most of you have committed to memory. It's what I would call, well, it's actually what Bob Mumford used to call the bless me scriptures. You know, you go through, when you first get saved, you go through the Bible and you start memorizing all the scriptures that has anything to do with blessing you. Like Matthew 7 and 7, ask and you shall receive. How many of you have memorized that one? Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Or over in Philippians 2 where it says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Anybody ever memorized that one? Yeah, we all have. Or which says in Philippians 4 verse 10, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, and this one falls into that one. It says, I won't read the first part. The first one talks about the enemy. He's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And in, 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 in opposition to that, that's what the enemy wants to do. The Lord tells us what he wants to do. And he says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And, uh, <clears throat> First, let me, I want to talk to you this morning about what, about the abundant life. I first want to talk to you about what it isn't, and then I want to talk to you about what it is. And uh, uh, so first, let me tell you what it is not. The abundant life is not about fame or fortune. It, it's neither. I recently had a conversation with a brother who who uh, wanted to get involved in something that I'm doing, and I told him that I couldn't let him do it because of something that had been happening in his life. And he told me, in response to that, he was angry. He said, well, I was way more famous than you'll ever be. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, you probably will, because I have never sought fame, nor have I sought fortune. What I have sought, and this is in the context of the abundance of God, is... <clears throat> His favor. So I don't seek fame. I don't seek fortune. What I do seek is his favor. And in the context of that is where the abundant life is, is comprised of. And <clears throat> I don't ever want to be known as a minister who preaches good messages. What I want to be known is a preacher who produce, preaches messages that produce good in the lives of the hearer. That's what I want to be known for. I don't ever want to get into the pulpit and my motivation is to impress anyone. What I do want to do is I want to impact everyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't want to impress. Don't want to impact. 
And so the abundant life is not about fame or fortune. And the abundant life isn't about an abundance of possessions. Uh, early on in, in the ministry, I, I write a monthly teaching article. And when I first started out, I wrote on this topic, the abundant life. And my wife's family is all from the Assembly of God background. And at that time, I sent them all. They were all on my mailing list, so they all got the article. And immediately afterwards, everyone in the family, which is a very significant amount, wrote my wrote me and told me to take them off take them off my mailing list. Now here's the catcher. All they saw was on the topic line, the abundant life. They never read the article. They immediately lumped me into those people, what we would call people that preach prosperity, and uh, immediately lumped me into that because I quizzed them years later. They repented. Did they ever read the article? And they said no. They just thought they knew what it was going to say. Because this topic can be very polarizing among Christians about the abundance and the abundant life and what it is and what it isn't. But it's not about an abundance of possessions. I remember Bob Mumford saying one time when he was talking about the abundance of life when he first became a Christian, he thought what it meant is God wanted to give you stuff and give you lots of it. And that that he would give you a Cadillac with steam-heated doorknobs. And uh, so that's what some people think when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. But it's not about an abundance of possessions. In fact, Luke 12, verse 15, if you want to turn there, says this, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. There is no life in our possessions. Sometimes we think we do. I, I, you know, I was excited when I bought the car that I've had now. I bought it in 2016 because it had all the bells and the whistles. And, but within a matter of two days, I was over it. In fact, I was irritated. I, I was thinking I should have got a much simpler car. Because I had to keep getting the owner's manual out and read about all these things that I don't use anyway. And so whatever thrill or jazz that it gave me was short-lived. Possessions do not really give you any real life. The Amplified Bible states it this way. Guard yourselves and keep free free from all covetousness, the immoderate desire for wealth, and the greedy longing to have more, for man's life does not consist in and is not derived from possessing overflowing abundance or that which is over and above his needs. Uh, and then the Living Bible says it this way. I love it. It says, beware. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life and real living are not related to how rich you are. And... Uh, <clears throat> So real life and real living is not related to how rich you are. Now, Jesus didn't say he came to give us an abundance of blessings. Now, without a doubt, within the confines of our walk with the Lord, there is an abundance of blessings. So I don't want to somehow 
keep you from thinking that God doesn't want to bless your life. But in that blessing isn't real life. It adds to our life, but it really doesn't give us what we would call real life. Second uh, Corinthians 1 and verse 20 states that the promises of God are yes and amen. And then it says this, that are in him. So in Jesus are all the promises. And they are yes and amen. So in within the confines of your relationship with Jesus, you have access to all his promises. And where his promises, where you are concerned, he says, when you mention a promise to him, he says yes and amen. It's the, I'm going to do it, and that's the that's the last word on it. So it's yes and amen. But we don't seek the promises. We seek the promiser, and in him we get all the promises. So as we seek him, we get what's inside of him. Deuteronomy says it this way, when it's talking about all the blessings that God wants to give us, he says... And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. So it means as I seek the blesser, the blessings begin to seek me. And they begin to overtake me. I'm running after him. As I run after him, his blessings begin to run after me. And somewhere in the process, these blessings overtake me. You don't look for the blessings. You seek the blesser, and you get the blessings. You don't seek the things of God. You seek the God of the things, and you get the things of God. You don't seek the gifts. You seek the giver, and you get the gifts. Does that make sense? So it's not about an abundance of blessings. What it is about, now let me tell you what it is. What is the abundant life? Simply state it, and I'm going to try to share this with you from a bunch of different scriptures. But the abundance of life is an abundance of his life that he wants to give us. His life that he wants to give to us abundantly. The Living Bible renders John 10.10 10 this way. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness so that we can have the fullness of his life. The Beck translation says it this way, to give life and having it overflowing in them. Where the life of Christ is so, I'm so full of the life of Christ, it just overflows on to other people, on to circumstances, on to situation. It's his life. When his life touches something else, it transforms it. Whether it's a person or whether it's a circum- circumstance or a situation or a need, when this his life touches it, something changes. And... Uh, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45 makes this statement. The first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So what is Jesus? He is a life-giving spirit. 
No, I just recently in my home church a couple weeks ago heard my pastor preach on the uh, in Galatians 2 about being crucified with Christ. And one of the things that he stated, which really, and I'm sure you've already heard this, but when you hear it again, it'll do something for you because it did something for me, is that Jesus not only died for us, he died as us. And I, I don't know what goes on in your heart and mind when I realize he not only died for me, he died as me. But as he was saying that, what went off in my heart, what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me is so that. In fact, it's what the Holy Spirit is. He finished Tim's statement. Tim didn't finish it. The Holy Spirit did it in my heart. So it went like this in my mind and in my heart. Jesus not only died for us, he died as us in order that we can live for him and we can live as him. That's the purpose of why he died for me and as me. It says over in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we no longer live our, for ourselves, but we live for him. It says over in 1 John 4, as Jesus was in the world, so are we. So as he was in the world, John says, we are now that way. That Jesus, so my prayer is, Lord, I not only want to live my life through you, I want you to live your life through me. What Jesus did back when he was in the flesh, he wants to continue to do today through our flesh. As he was in the world, so are we. That's why he says, I come to give you this life that he have, and he gives it abundantly. So I want to move. One of my prayers I've recently, and I hope it becomes one of your prayers, that said, Lord, I no longer want to be a living soul. Meaning I no longer want to live for my soul, for me. What I want to be is like you. I want to become like you, a life-giving spirit. Everywhere I go, because you said you came to give me life to the full, or in that translation says the overflowing. So I have this life. I have it overflowing. It's my job to determine now where I channel it. Where do I dispense it? I want to be, like my Lord, a life-giving spirit. I was reading over in my daily quiet time. I was reading over in 1 Corinthians 15 and <clears throat> And uh, Paul is commending the Corinthian church for their, their impact upon his servant uh, Titus's life. And here's what he says, and it says this in the message. It says, he says, he commended him, he said, because Titus was both revived and he was refreshed because of the way that he treated them. And what went off in me is this. I said, Lord... That's what I want to happen. Everywhere I go, I want to, I want people to be both revived and I want them to be refreshed after having been in my presence. That verse so excited me, I decided to go on a life-giving tour. I, God had been, uh, <clears throat> 
dealing with me to renew some old relationships, to visit with people. So in June, I went on a, I was in six states, nine cities where I personally had impact or was in the presence of 50 different people. And my sole purpose is when I was with them is to leave them both revived and refreshed. In fact, I had lunch with one brother. Uh, it was just supposed to be an hour. It ended up being two hours. And when I got back to where I was staying, I got a text from him. And he said, Jim, thank you, man. I feel so revived. And I was thinking, weren't you refreshed too? I mean, did you only get half of it? Uh, my, may, I need to step up my game. You know, I just got brought revival, no refreshment. But I, I promise you that not only were they revived and refreshed, how many know you can't give something without getting in on it? You just can't. So the same reviving and refreshing that you're giving out is coming back to you. And so <clears throat> he is a life-giving spirit. We're to be as him, overflowing with his life, and we're to be given out to other people. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gives his life. Now, we know that to be in theology that he gave his life on the cross, you know, for the forgiveness of our sins. But can I tell you prior, and you can look through the Gospels, prior to that day when he was nailed to that cross, Every day of his life, he was willing at any given moment to ransom something in his life in order to bring redemption in somebody else's life. Whether it's redeem them from a sickness. He, he ransomed his time. He ransomed his strength. He, he was willing to pay anything, ransom something, in order to bring redemption in somebody else's life. And if we want to be like him, I always tell everybody, the problem with wanting to be like Christ is you got to be like Christ. (laughs) That's the problem with it. We have to be willing at any given moment to be willing. As we go through the day, we've got to be willing at any given moment when we encounter somebody who needs some redemption in some way, whether it's physically or monetarily or or mentally, or emotionally, we've got to be willing to ransom something, pay something, in order to bring redemption in somebody else's life. Because we have his life, and we have it abundantly. problem is, is what do we do with it? I, we have to be willing. It says, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, for my sake in the gospel, you will save it or you will find it. So at any given moment, we have to be willing. I have to. You have to be willing to lose something in order for somebody else to gain something. There is power when you make a sacrifice on behalf of the Lord first and then on behalf of someone else. That's what releases the power to bring redemption or to bring something into their lives. So 
Jesus came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. The Greek word for abundant is parisos. And Thayer's Greek lexicon uses these words to define it, this word abundance. It says, over and above, remember, he came to give us his life, over and above, more than necessary, expanding. I mean, you can't ever deplete it. This life is always expanding it. You don't ever have to be afraid. Lord, if I give some of your life away, I won't have enough for myself. It's not true because it expands. It's in the giving that everything expands. It says, you know, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed on, shaken together, running over into your lap. When does that expanding happen? When you receive something? No, it happens when you give something. So it's expanding, overflowing, and then it ends up with these uh, two words, beyond measure. He's come to give us this kind of life. The abundance of life has very little to do with what you have. It has everything to do with who you are and what you do. In fact, I have found it's who you are and what you do that makes what you have either a little or a lot. There are a lot of people in this life that have way more than me, possession and money-wise, but I dare say there are very few people in this life that are richer than I. I don't have what they have. I have something better. I might have told you the story, but I'm going to give you an abbreviated. In 1986, I was living in Orlando, <clears throat> and I was invited to give my testimony at a businessmen's luncheon in downtown Orlando. <clears throat> a friend had referred them to me, and it was how I got saved. <clears throat> most of you, most of you realize I got saved one night turned myself in the next day to the police, pled to my crime. I pled guilty, <clears throat> received the 30-year sentence, and then went on to be in prison for eight years. And when I got out, I went to Bible school. Sorry, I'm getting a little hoarse. <clears throat> but uh, so they wanted to hear this testimony. Now, I didn't know any of these men. Someone had called me out and said, would you come down and give your testimony? We have this Bible study. So I went in, and when I drove into the uh, the parking lot, I realized I was going to be speaking to men that uh, were in a different wealth bracket than I was because every car in the parking lot was a luxury car. First one I noticed was a Rolls Royce. I had heard about them, but I'd never really seen one, you know, up close. You know, I saw some driving by, but... And there was a couple Porsches and a couple Mercedes and Jaguars and things like that all in the park. In fact, uh, that was all the cars because business hasn't started yet. And I came in in my 1981 Chevette. And I could not, honestly, I could not bring myself to park my car in that, in that parking lot because I didn't want to defile any of these cars. Honestly, this is a true story. So I drove out and parked on the street. 
probably part of it is I didn't want them when they came out to say, hey, is that your car? <laughs> you know, maybe that was the better reason why I did it. But for whatever reason, I didn't park it in there. So I went in and gave my uh, testimony, and uh, it went real well. They seemed to enjoy them. I didn't really know who they were. I knew that they were wealthy, but I didn't know who they were. Then about a month later, uh, one of them called me back because they had heard that I did this teaching on purpose, a three-message teaching on purpose, someone had told them, and they asked me if I would come down and, and do that teaching. So I did. I came down for three weeks. <clears throat> And then after that three weeks, they asked me to be their Bible study teacher. And so I taught them for the next six, six years. And in this, there were, there were uh, <clears throat> 12 guys, businessmen, and all of them owned their own businesses. Two of the guys were brothers named Jimmy and Bobby Hewitt. And they were the ones who paid $32 million to bring the Orlando Magic franchise to Orlando. Now, all they got for their $32 million was the right to have the team. Nothing else. That $32 million was split up amongst the other owners. And so they have the right now to have this team. So, <clears throat> And all of them were in keeping with that kind of wealth. And <clears throat> and when I first started meeting there, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, why are you allowing me to meet men of this caliber now? And the Lord doesn't pull punches. He said to me, because I can trust you with them now. Meaning, had I seen them when I first got out of prison, all I would have seen on their lives were dollar signs. I decide, oh, they're going to fund my worldwide ministry. And <clears throat> so not only did he say that, but he followed up with this thing. And he says, son, make no mistake. I am not giving you. I'm not giving these men to you to bless you. I'm giving you to these men to bless them. So in all the six years, and never let them know of a need, never talked about my ministry. Now, all of them over the years supported them. But the interesting thing was, is when we would go out to breakfast, or sometimes we'd go out to lunch as a group, <clears throat> and they had different friends, they would introduce me. One of them would always introduce me. He said, this is Jim Newsom. He is the richest man in our group. And I remember when I was walking away one time, the guy that he introduced me to said to this guy, his name was Johnny Cash, honestly. He was an insurance salesman, but his name's Johnny Cash. He said to Johnny, he said, well, how much money does he have? He said, oh, he doesn't have any money at all, which was true. But he, they considered me the richest guy there because I was rich, I hope I was, in the life of Christ. That's where real riches lie. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> real life doesn't happen in the midst of an abundance of blessings. Real life happens in the midst of an abundance of opportunity to become a blessing. That's where real life has. When you give up the life that you have in Christ, it begins to expand, it begins to become beyond measure, it becomes overflowing, 
And so it's in the midst of an abundance of opportunities, which all of us have if we are aware of them. One of the things it says over in Ephesians 5, and just before it talks about make the most of every opportunity or redeem the time, as the King James says, it says you need, we need to work, walk circumspectively. Now, that word circumspectively has the root word from circle, and it has the idea as we go through life that we are always aware we have a 360 degree of awareness of what's happening around us, that we don't walk through life with, with what are those things called, blinders on. You know, we're all we're seeing is where we're going. But we need to, as Christians, walk with a 360 degree of awareness because there are opportunities to become a blessing abounding around all of us. If we move from wanting to be a living soul or live for our soul to becoming a life-giving spirit. I'm not there yet, but that's where I want to be. I want to partner with Jesus in this life-giving spirit thing. Amen? So, uh Jesus is one that says, uh, the Lord Jesus, he himself said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, most people think when you read that money, remove money from your thinking. I'm sure money has something to do with that, or it can be used where your money is concerned. But, oh, if you really, what he's telling you is simply this, the more... that The abundance, the overflowing, the expanding happens... Not when you receive something, it happens when you give something. He says it's more blessed to give. The more the abundance happens in the giving. That's where it becomes expanding, overflowing, beyond measure, more than you know what to do with, way above what you need. It, it happens in doing that. Luke 6:38 and I mentioned this it says given will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together running over they will pour into your lap and then it ends up this with what standard of measure for by your standard of measure it will be measured into your, your return now I wish I could teach on just that phrase but I'm going to refrain from doing it cuz you don't have the time and I need to get on the road <clears throat> but excuse me that phrase is used three times in the Gospels in the context, one of hearing and what you should do with what you hear, and then in the context of judging. But here it's in the context of giving. What it's saying is this. By what standard, what criteria you use to determine whether you're going to give, whether it's money, your time, your strength, your gifting, whatever criteria you determine who gets it and who doesn't get with it, gets it, you need to learn to live with it because God says whatever criteria you use, I'm then going to use that one on you. I'm going to use that same. Now, he initially says, here, son, I'm going to give it to you freely flowing, expanding, overflowing, uh, you know, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to <clears throat> be willing to ransom something so something can be redeemed in you. I'm, 
I'm willing to lose something so that you may gain something. That's the standard that I'm using for my giving where you're concerned. And this is the standard that I want you to use for others. But if you can't, for some reason you don't like certain people or you got some pet peeve, by the way, the only way you'll get rid of a pet peeve is quit petting it. Right? If you just got to quit petting it, it'll go away. A peeves only stick around as long as you pet them. You know, don't you? <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, but he says, he says, this is the standard. But if you make some modifications in it, because you, I'll give if they make it right. I'll give if they're moral, morally. I'll give if they deserve it. If, Fine, you can make whatever modification in this measure I gave to you, but please know that after that, that's the measure that I'm going to use where you're concerned. Can you live with it? Can I live with the Lord giving to me just how, in the same way that I just gave to somebody else? Because if you can't, don't do it. Keep his measure. How he deals with you, that's how you need to deal with other people. Because it says, with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you in return. Proverbs 20 and verse 10 says, Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. Simply means this. If the measure measure you're wanting from the Lord, and it's grace, mercy, uh, Provision, protection. If the grace, if the uh, measure that you're wanting from the Lord differs at all in the measure that you give out to others, God says, that's abominable to me. You mean I forgave you completely, freely, fully, instantly, and you can't forgive This brother, my measure was so big and generous and you made some modifications on it because you don't really like the guy anyway. He said, that's abominable to me. Says over in Deuteronomy, it says, you shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. What it simply means is, is I used a large one for myself and when I run into opportunities to help someone, I use the smaller one. I'm to make sure all of my needs are met, but with my small one, I'm just going to meet partially your need. God's it's again. It says in Deuteronomy 25:13:50, he goes on to say that's an abomination. Just think, God thinks that's an abomination. If how you're giving it out differs from how you're receiving it, God says, that's an abomination. The Lord allows us to establish the measure of our receiving by using the measure of our giving. Does that, uh, is that clear enough for you? Amen. Now, let me finish up and don't let that fool you. Recently, I, I, when I say recently in the last three months, I've been meeting with different people around Louisville. 
In fact, one of my friends are here today. His name is Lee. Lee, just raise your hand, everybody. He's from Louisville. He came down just to uh, hear me speak. My goodness. And uh, so, but I've been meeting with different people because I got this revelation. I want to be like the Corinthian church, and I want to leave people both revived and refreshed. So I've been meeting with, and so I'm meeting with this young pastor in South Louisville. He's 34 years old. He'd been pastoring this church from, since he was 22. And, uh, this church is growing. He's innovative. He's technical. He's, he's one of the smartest guys I ever met. He, they've got three campuses now. And, you know, he's, he puts on podcasts and everything. And, and I'm sitting there just amazed. You know, on my way home, I'm just talking to the Lord. I said, wow, Lord, this guy is so productive. He is so innovative. He is so creative. Uh, And I said, you know, out loud, I said, oh, Lord, to be young again. And the Lord said to me, spoke to me right in my heart in that moment, which has changed my life since then. He says, son, I need for you to quit thinking like an old man. And the way I responded is how I always respond. I said, well, Lord, you know, little, you know, trying to, you know, uh, argue with him a little bit. I said, well, Lord, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, uh, I'm sure he knew it. But I'm saying, uh, but I just turned 70 last August. Uh, I said, you know, some people would consider that old. And he, I said, so some people consider me an old man. He said, no, you're not. And just like the Lord, I mean, you know, when God speaks to you, he doesn't feel any need to expound on it or explain himself. He expects you then to seek him out to figure out what he was trying to say to you. So he said that I am not an old man. Now, my kids would probably differ with them, and, you know, there are some people in the church that would differ with them, but God said I wasn't an old man. So if he said I wasn't an old man, then I'm probably not an old man. So I'm a man of the word, so I started searching through Scripture to see if there was something in Scripture that would validate what the Lord said to me, that I'm not an old man. So, the first place I found it was in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. It says this. Paul says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. The New Century Version says, Though our outer man is getting older and weaker, our younger, our inner man is being uh, invigor- reinvigorated every day. So, outer man, older and weaker, inner man, being renewed. So, I looked up the Greek word for renew, and I won't try to pronounce this one. But it says to reinvigorate, to refresh, to revive, to make young again. Our inner man is our spirit, and how many you know that our spirit is forever young? It's created in the image of God. He's known as the ageless one. So our spirit, if we can say this, is is ageless. 
In fact, the Lord says that he's, we're going to be renewed day by day. Now I ask the Lord, how many of you are excited that God's going to renew you day by day? But can I tell you, that just doesn't happen. He just doesn't show up every morning and say, all right, time for your renewing, Jim. Reinvigorating, reviving, refreshing, making young again. That just doesn't happen. It's not like, you know, it's all right, it's time for your renewing. Now, part of it is, is having your quiet time. How I many you know you get renewed when you read the scriptures? Your prayer time, you get reinvigorated in the midst of prayer. But I'll tell you, the best way to get renewed, to be reinvigorated, is to become depleted. Meaning, the day before, you've given everything, you've emptied yourself on behalf of other people. You've emptied your strength, you've emptied your uh, resources, you've emptied yourself. You, you need renewed because you have depleted yourself on behalf of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit says, all right, reinvigorate, revive, refresh. The moment you empty, the best way to get full of anything where the Lord's concerned, how many know his ways are not our ways? He says, son, the way to get full is to become empty. The way to get is to give. If you want to be first, get at the end of the line. His ways are not our ways. So when I realized that, I moved from not just having my quiet time where there is renewing. You get renewed when you read the Word of God. God opens it up, and it's reinvigorating, reviving. But then in the midst of that, I'm gaining all this life. Now it's my job, as I go throughout the day, walk circumspectively with the 360 degree of awareness, looking around, who can I empty this life, this abundant life that Jesus has given me, Who can I empty it out on? Who needs a touch of the life of Jesus? And that touch comes in many forms. Maybe just a conversation. Maybe a prayer for them. Maybe give them some money. Maybe, you know, share a revelation or a testimony. But you're giving away what God has given you. And it's continually expand, reinforcing. So... Here's another place, and I am almost through now, where God promised us this, where I'm, I'm a young, I'm still a young man. And, uh, I'm ageless. I'm forever young. Before I do that, do you know that if you're a workman for the Lord, now only workmen get this. You can't get it just for being a Christian. You've got to be a Christian that works on behalf of the Lord. Remember, the Bible says, let the light, let, uh, let your light uh, be seen. Let, how's that go? Were your good works? Yeah, let your light shine. There you go. I don't know why I can remember. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Before, man, your good works. Now, a lot of people just don't understand that word, good works. What it means is you got to work to produce good in somebody's life. So it's good, but it's works. You got to labor to produce good in somebody's life. You got to expend some energy. And so it says, if you're a workman, in Luke 10, verse 7, it says, the laborer is worthy of his wage. 
Now, I've been working for the Lord in this ministry since 1984. And I can I tell you, I have never been to a place where I've been begging bread. I don't talk to people about money. I talk to God about money, and he talks to people about money. It's his job. I don't work for people. I work for him. And it's his job to make provision for me. It's not my job to make provision for myself. But a workman is worthy. This is the Lord saying he's worthy of his wage. So not only if you're a workman. Now, remember, again, it's the workmen that get this. Not only are you, <clears throat> do you get a good wage, but you also get from the Lord a very, very generous benefit package. Someone say amen. amen. Come on, you should have said that before I had to say to say that. Wow, benefit package. I, I, my daughter got a job three years ago with this company and she was so excited about to tell me about her benefit package. I get these insurances and I get these bonuses and I get these incentives and she just went on. And I want to tell you, we have a much, much more generous benefit package from the Lord and it's all located in one place. Over in uh, <clears throat> Psalm 103. Starting with verse 2, it says, My whole being, praise the Lord, and do not forget all his (laughs) benefits. And then it goes and lists six things that are in our benefit package. Now, again, remember, this is for a workman or a workwoman. Get a good wage, generous benefit package. And here's, and in this benefit package are three insurances and there are three bonuses. The first insurance, he says, and he will forgive you all your sins. That's your liability insurance. When the enemy comes up and says, oh, look what you just did. Oh, no, I'm not liable. Take that up with my insurance agent. His name's Jesus. He already forgave me of all that. Yeah, I've got some liability insurance. Then he says, and he will heal you of all your diseases. That's your health insurance. And how many know? And this, there's no deductible. Jesus isn't up there and said, all right, Jim, you got to come up with 1500 bucks. You know, and then your diseases get healed. You know, there's a deductible here. You know, it's not like we got all the resources in the world. No, it's our health insurance. And then the third one, he says, and he saves your life from the grave. That's our life insurance. As Larry mentioned in introducing me, I, he saved my life from the grave in 2000. Uh, 2006, when the doctor told me I had two years, maybe one year to live. And, and I promise you, my, I looked, my wife, people kept telling me I looked like death warmed over. And, uh, but I, I got this money. He saved my life from the grave. There's a scripture, one I prayed during that time, Psalm 68 and verse 20, it says this. You need to memorize it. He says, our God is a God of deliverances. And in him are all the escapes from death. 
And when I read that, I kept saying to the Lord, all right, you got all the escapes? All I need is just one. I need one of those escapes. And he gave it to me. And he'll give it to you. It's part of your benefit package. He saves your life from the grave. And then the fourth one is he loads you with love and mercy. King James says, loving kindness and mercy. He loads you up with me. You got more than you need. This is our first bonus. Love, you're loaded up with love and mercy. And then the fifth one is it says he satisfies your years with good things. Uh, one translation doesn't use the word years. It uses the word days. He satisfies your days with good things. I meet with um, the pastor of the church I attend named Tim Parrish. We meet every two weeks. And one of the first things, and I shared this all with them. And so we, one of the things that we do during our time together where this bonus concern, we I ask him, all right, in the 14 days since I've seen you, what were some of the good stuff God brought into your life? And he tells me, and I start telling him of all the good stuff that God brought into my life in those days. It's one of our benefits. It's a bonus if you're a workman. And then the sixth one is where I find this. It says, and he makes you young again like an eagle. King James says he'll renew your youth like an eagle. The New Century Version where I'm getting these from is from the, it says he'll make you young again like an eagle when you're renewed. How do you get renewed? When you start emptying yourself on behalf of others. And can I tell you, it works kind of like this. Your inner man is being renewed, but it's somehow it's filtered through your outer man, outer man and your outer man is being affected by it. It's slowing down the age process and the weakness process. You're finding yourself, even in your outer man, feeling more revitalized, more energetic, because the inner man is having an impact on the outer man. Does that make sense? So all you young bucks in here, you ain't got nothing on me. I'm a young man. Uh, old men think in terms of how many years they have left. Young men think in terms of unlimited years. And I'll close with this. And it really am closing. One scripture. <clears throat> so can we. We can think in terms of unlimited years. No matter how old you are. I'm, I'll be 71 next month. And I am viewing life as I have unlimited years. And how I can view that is by this scripture that is found in Psalm 61, verse 6. And I'm going to read it to you out of the Living Bible because it says it more clearly. David is responding to God. And so he's writing down what God is saying to him. And he says, and you will give me added years of life as rich and as full as many generations all packed into one. So not only will he give you added years, but in these added years, he's going to pack them as rich and as full as many generations. So let me just make it practical for you. Let's say for argument's sake that a generation is 40 years. I thought it was 20. I mean 30. 
But when I went online, because people are waiting until they're in their 30s and even mid-30s or late 30s to have children now. So now a generation is considered 40 years. And at the minimum, minimum of many is three. Let's just say it's three. So at the very least, what the Lord is telling us is that he can teach us and empower us to live 120 years worth of living all in one year and then give us a bunch of years just like that. What it would take everybody else, 120 years to experience, to accomplish. God says, I I can do all that in one year and then give you a bunch of years just like that. Now, if you think, and so I immediately start doing other math. Let's say I live to be another 10 years. Well, what that means is I can live 1,200 years worth of living in the next 10 years, at the very least. Now, let me close by giving you one example of somebody biblically that had this dynamic. And it's not other than the Lord himself. Remember, and it's him, and he says, I've come to give you life and abundant. In fact, this life will teach you how to live at least 120 years worth of living all in one year. And we can see that in, in this scripture, John 21, verse 25. And this is what they, John says about Jesus as three and a half years of ministry. Remember, he was only in it three and a half years. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that were written. Three and a half years. All we get from the Gospels are the highlights. Anybody ever watch ESPN? I love it because they just give you the highlights. They Five seconds of the best plays. They don't give you the whole game. But John says, how many of you know I believe it's true? In that three and a half years, Jesus accomplished generations worth of accomplishments. And he says, son, this life I have that enabled me to do that, I'm giving to you. Let's stand together. Now, I want us to close with a prayer. And it's, and you can keep your eyes open. How I many you know God hears your prayers if your eyes are open? He, he does. I've tried it, and I heard him respond, saying, I heard you, son, even though your eyes were open. So I want you to pray this after me. Say, Lord, I'm asking you, not only to tack years on the end of my life, but expand the years in the midst of my life. Lord, I'm asking you, not only will you give me added year, I mean, not only will you allow me to live longer, but you allow me to live better. One last one. Lord, I'm asking, not only will you give, 
more years in my life, but you'll give me more life in my years. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to tell you, church, that is the abundant life. God bless you.